are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, let me add, happy Mother's Day. I am really excited about sharing God's Word with you today, because I believe that if you will apply the truth that we're going to discover in God's Word today to your everyday living, it could change your life forever. Here's what I'm praying, that there will be somebody here today who years from now will say, I remember going to church on that Mother's Day. And all I did was begin to apply the truth that was taught that day. And I have never been the same since then. That's what I believe is in the power of God's Word. So let let me begin by telling you a story. One day Jesus... It's a great way to start a story, right? One day, Jesus. He goes to Jerusalem for a festival, and he walks by this pool of water, and the pool of water was called Bethesda. And and he sees a guy laying there by the pool on a mat. Now, here was the deal with the pool. There was a belief that if the waters were somehow stirred supernaturally, by supernatural force, and if you were the first person to get into the water that you would be healed of whatever you were dealing with. If you were crippled, if you were blind, whatever disease you had, you would be made well. Man, I wish that pool really existed, don't you? And so, Jesus walks by the pool, and there's a guy who is laying there, and he has been crippled for 38 years, okay? That's how old I am, so that's a long time. Maybe I'm a little older, but anyway, 38 years, and Jesus asks the guy a question. He says to him, hey, do you want to get well? I think it's an awesome question. Do you want to get well? And the guy responds to Jesus, well, here's the deal. When the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool first. So here's what Jesus says to the guy. Why don't you just... Now, he hasn't walked for 38 years. Why don't you just stand up, pick up that mat you've been laying on, and walk. You know what the Bible says happens? The guy stands up and he walks. I remember having given my bed to some of my extended family who was visiting us from Chicago and I slept on the living room floor and laying on a little pallet that my mom kind of spread out on the floor for me and I was like 14 years old. And I remember that next morning everybody was waking up and they were making coffee and they were starting to cook breakfast. And my dad came over to where I was and kind of said, Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. And I began to stir a little bit. And he said, Take up your mat and walk. And so I, I took up my mat and walked. A little later in the day, Jesus sees the guy at the temple because it was the Sabbath. Now, you're going to be a little bit blown away by what Jesus says to him. And so I'm not going to say it until you're ready to hear it. But when you think you're ready to hear it, I'll say it. So do you think you're ready to hear what Jesus says to the guy? It's going to surprise you. You're not going to expect this at all. You're going to be like, really? Why did he say that? Here's what he says. Hey, buddy. I don't know if he said buddy, but... Stop sinning. Seriously? Yeah, that's what he says. Hey, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. Now, if you're me, I want to say, hey, time out just a minute, okay? Uh, Can we just pump the brakes here for a second? Because what does Jesus mean by something worse 
I mean, the guy hasn't walked for 38 years. That's a long time. Is there something worse than that? What is worse than human pain and suffering that we've been talking about these last four weeks, right? What's worse than the trials and the hard times of life that you and I go through? You know what Jesus is saying is worse? When you're tempted to sin and you give in, then you have to suffer the consequences of your sin. And sometimes the consequences of your sin is worse than the trials that you face in life. Now, in this book that we're studying right now, the book of James, James, for 11 verses, for the last four weeks, he's been talking about, man, sometimes you go through trials Sometimes life just gets really hard. Sometimes you get really sick. Sometimes bad things happen. But when he gets to verse 12, he shifts. And now he says, not only is sometimes life hard because of trials, but sometimes life is hard because you sin. And then you've got to deal with the consequences of your sin. And it makes life really hard. And so there's this truth that comes out of this passage. And here's the truth, okay? The truth is, my response, Rick Harvey, my response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. How I respond to the enemy when he tempts me to sin is going to determine the quality of my life. You ought to write it down. In fact, I wish there was some way to embed it in your memory. I wish there was some way that you would walk away from here today and somebody would say to you this afternoon, so did you go to church today? And you say, yeah, I went to church today. And did the guy talk? Yeah, the guy talked. What did the guy talk about? And I hope you would say to him, here's what he said. He said, my response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. I hope you get it. So say it with me. My response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. I think about... You know, half of you said it, so could we all say it together this time? My response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. See, I know people, and you know people, who no longer get to enjoy relationships of people they love because of how they responded to temptation one day. There's there's people who would say, I'm not married anymore. And I know what I did, but I really loved him, or I really loved her. But I I don't get to be in that relationship with anymore because of the way I responded when I was tempted. Because, say it with me again, my response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. There are people that I know and that you know who have lived a lifetime of regret and guilt and shame. They have lived a lifetime of regret and guilt and shame because of how they responded one day when they were tempted. Because, say it with me again, my response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. There are people, and I'm not being overdramatic, okay, I promise you. There are people who are in prison right now. Their address is a prison because of the way they responded when they were tempted. Because my response to temptation will determine the quality of my life. But every pancake I've ever eaten, and there's been a few over the years, 
has had two sides. And the same is true in reverse. I know people today who love living in relationships with people they love because when they were tempted, they said no. You with me? I love that, don't you? And I know people who didn't go to prison because when they were tempted, they stood strong. And I know people who have not lived a lifetime of guilt and shame because when they were tempted, they responded in the way they should have. Now let me just give you James' own words. I think that's the best place to think think now. So here's what he does. So God blesses those, he says, and we're in verse 12 of chapter 1 where we have been for a while. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. We get it, trials, going through hard times. That's what you've been talking about for 11 verses. But he adds a new word, and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life. If you stand through temptation, you will receive the crown of life You get to live like you never lived before. You get all of this life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God, why are you tempting me? God is never tempted to do wrong. And He never tempts anybody else. Well, where does temptation come from? Temptation comes from our own desires. It's when you want and you crave and you wish for and you desire and you lust for sinful things. That's where temptation comes from. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. The word entice is like using bait to seduce somebody. I'm trying to eat better, I go to a meeting. They've got donuts. That's base. Bait, rather. It's used to seduce me. You got me? And it drags us away. This is evil desire. And then desire gives birth to sinful actions. And when sinful sin, rather, is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So this, this is God's Word for us today. So, you remember in the book of Genesis, right? Chapter 3. You've got... Adam and Eve, and God has put them in this garden. And what has He said to them? Enjoy the garden. This is paradise. You know, this is the garden of Eden. This is for you. Eat everything you want to eat. Enjoy all you want to enjoy. You don't have to do anything. I've given this all to you. Just love life and every good gift I've given you. There there is one issue, God says to Adam and Eve. There, There is one tree. And, and it's the tree in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the only thing I'm asking of you, you can do everything you want to do, but the one thing I'm asking of you is this. Don't eat from that tree. Because if you eat from that tree, you'll die. And so the Bible says that one day God comes in the cool of the day walking through the garden. Why? Because He wants fellowship with His creation. He created Adam, He created Eve, and He wants to be with them. Like he wants fellowship with you. I know, hard to grasp. The God who created everything wants to hang out with you. Wants to talk to you. Wants to spend time with you. 
wants you to talk to him. God desires fellowship with you. And God comes walking through the garden because he wants to hang out with Adam and Eve, like he wants to hang out with you. And he's looking for them, and they're hiding. And he says, why are you hiding? And Adam says, because I'm naked. And God says, how in the world did you know you're naked? Adam, did you eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And you know what Adam says? Uh, You know that woman that you made for me? Well, it was really her fault because what she did was she picked some of the fruit and then she like brought it to me. But if she hadn't have done that, I'm certain I would have stayed like miles from that tree. I wasn't even thinking about that tree. But the woman, it's really kind of her fault. And so God goes to Eve and you know what he says to Eve? Eve, what did you do? And you know what Eve says? Uh, You know the serpent that hangs around out in the garden sometimes? Well, he deceived me and he's the one who caused me because I would have never, you know, if he hadn't have... And and what they do is just kind of shift the blame. See, the reason it's important for me and you this morning to say out loud that sentence that we've been saying, my response to temptation will determine the quality of my life is because we so often want to really just kind of throw the blame to somebody else. And, and what is happening in this passage is God is saying, to you, no, 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 it's not somebody else's fault. It's you. You get to choose. What you do with temptation will determine the quality of your life. It's really up to you. So, once in a while, we find ourselves in a situation where we don't like our situation and we want to blame somebody and what's interesting in this passage is that sometimes sometimes we choose to blame God God why did you let this happen to me and sometimes God is saying the reason you where you are is because of the choices you made In the Proverbs, a guy named Solomon says it really well. In chapter 19, I think it is, he says, people run their lives by their own foolishness. And you know what next? They get angry with God. God, why'd you let this happen to me? And so what James does is he corrects his readers to say, here's the deal, you know, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God has nothing to do evil. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. God has nothing to do with evil. And God is not the source of your temptation. Now, in context, I think it's important for us to remember what's going on. These are Christian people. In fact, they're the very first Christian people that he's writing to. They're the very first Christian community. There wasn't a Christian community before these people existed. Jesus shows up. 2,000 years ago, and he starts talking about this kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's unlike any other kingdom of this world. It's unlike any other kingdom that you've ever been a part of. And you can be a citizen of this kingdom. This is the kingdom you want to join. In this kingdom, you can be forgiven of your sins. When you've given into temptation because you followed your own desires, He will forgive you of all of your sins, and you get to start life over again. It's like being born again and people are following Jesus like crazy 
But there were religious leaders who did not understand this kind of kingdom. And it was different from their ideas of religion. And they began to say, what we really need to do is make Christians go away, even if we have to kill them. And so they started killing some. And so what happens is they run for their lives. They're living as refugees all over the place, living in poverty. And you would think that the devil would say, well, if they're living as refugees and they're living in poverty, I don't guess I need to bother them with temptation to sin or anything like that. Their life is hard enough. Well, no, that's not what the devil says. The devil says, I don't want to just hurt them. I want to destroy them. And that's what he says about you. I don't want to just make your life hard. I don't want to just mess you up a little bit. I don't want to just get you off track and run relationships. No, no, no. The devil says, I'm not going to stop until I have destroyed you. And so people who are living as refugees in poverty, James understands that they are being tempted to sin and he has to write about it. See, that's when the devil says, when your life gets really hard, when you're going through the tough stuff, when life is just hard, that's when the devil steps up and says, when in the world are you going to do something for you? I think you deserve a little bit of pleasure. I think you should get something you desire. And that's what James addresses here. So, you don't blame others. You admit to yourself that the way I respond to temptation will determine the quality of my life. So, um, we have two daughters, Annette and I. My wife and I, Annette, do. One is 30. She turned 30 this week. Um, I was in the office and I said that to some people and a, a young lady who works in our office who is not yet 30, she looks at me and she says, Really? You have a daughter who is already 30? And I said, well, you have the gift of encouragement, apparently, you know. Um, yeah, she's 30, and she has a husband named Tim. And uh, I think I can say this here. And they have a little daughter, which is our granddaughter, Sadie. I don't bring it up much, but we have a granddaughter. Her name is Sadie. And, and then I have another daughter, and her name is Morgan. And Morgan is 24. And Morgan is at this place in her life where that... She's out of school, finally, thank the Lord, we got a raise. And, and now Morgan has a job, and now Morgan has her own place to live, and Morgan makes her own money. And so Morgan calls me not long ago, and she says, Hey, Dad, something's wrong with my car. I said, Okay. Well, so here's the way it's worked in the past. When Morgan calls and says, Something's wrong with my car, I go to where she is with one of our cars and we cripple along for a few days with one car and I take her car to get it fixed and after they fix it, then I go pay for it and then I take the car back to Morgan. Okay, she has a pretty good life, right? But, but now she's adulting, right? I mean, now the world is different and Morgan has a job. Morgan has her own stuff. And so Morgan calls and says, Dad, something's wrong with my car. And I said, okay. And she said, are we going to get it fixed? And I said, I think you should take it to the guy who usually works on it. He's really good. And she goes, well, what about me driving a car? And I said, well, Mom and I could help you out. Sure. Do you want to borrow one of our cars? We don't mind. And so we've never really said to Morgan or either one of our girls, like, 
when you graduate from college or when you get out of school or when this day comes, then, you know, financially, you're kind of on your own. We've never said that. We've meant it, but we never said it. Okay? And so, and so Morgan, she does actually take the car herself. I was proud of her. She grabs one of our cars and she calls me like two days later. And she goes, Dad, car's ready. I said, great. How much was it? She goes, 400 and something. I said, ouch. And she said, they close before I can get there. Will you go pick it up? And so, you know, being the helpful dad that I am, I said, sure. So I go pick up the car. A couple of days later, she texts me, thanks for picking up the car. If you want me to, I can help you pay for the repair. <laughs> to which I responded, funny, I was getting ready to send you the same text. And, and I loved it, the way she handled it. She was a trooper about it. She goes, oh, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I see where you've been going with this. No, 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 I can take care of it. And I said, no, no, do you need help? No, I'm good, Dad, really I am. I said, well, let me pay for half this time, right? You know? And she goes, no, and I said, no, let me pay for half. And I try to, you know, smooth it over a little bit. But what are you doing, Rick? I want Morgan Harvey to be responsible. I want Morgan to assume responsibility for her life and her actions and her behavior and her car. I want her to grow up to be this wonderful woman who understands responsibility. And that's exactly where James is going in this conversation about temptation. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, do you understand that temptation actually has an origin? And you know where temptation comes from? Temptation comes from our own desires. It's you. <laughs> it's when you want or you wish for or you crave or you desire or you lust for something sinful. That's where it comes from. And then you are enticed and you are dragged away by your own desires. It's about you. He's talking about evil desires, sinful desires, not good desires. See, I, I desire to spend quality time with my family. Well, that's a good desire. You know what else I desire? I desire intimacy with my wife. That's a good desire. He's talking about those times when we want or long for or crave or lust for something that is sinful. Now, there's another story being told. And the other story that's being told is that human beings are basically really good people. And if that's your story, if that's your narrative, if that's what you have come to believe, then you're really going to struggle with this sermon. Because what I'm saying is that human beings aren't really good people. Human beings are really selfish people who have a lot of selfish desires. 
and who long for and wish for and crave and lust for sinful things. Theologians would call this idea original sin. That we were born in sin because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. We are part of a fallen humanity that are inclined toward evil. So if we live with desire, and some of those desires are simple, what do you do with desires that are simple? That's the big question. You got two choices. Okay? There's a story that is worth to me retelling. It's about an old uh, Native American chief who was talking to his young grandson one day. And he says to his grandson, he says, It's like we all have two wolves inside of us speaking to us. Well, Grandpa, what are the wolves saying to us? He says, well, one wolf is saying, do what you want. Don't worry about other people or anything else. Don't worry about what's right or wrong. Just do what you want. Well, Grandpa, what's the other wolf saying? Oh, the other wolf is saying, do what's right. Be kind. Be good. Be gracious. Be generous. Do the right thing. And so the little boy finally looks into his grandfather's eyes and he says, Grandpa, which wolf wins? And the wise old chief smiled and said to his grandson, that's simple. It's the one you feed. And that's the choice that you and me get to make. What do we do with simple desire? We can either feed them or we can starve them. And either option that you choose has tremendous power. Because if you feed them, they grow into giants. But if you starve them, they diminish. It may be good if I reminded us this morning that you really do get to choose you get to choose what track your thoughts take you down. You don't have to camp out there in your mind. You don't have to think those thoughts. You really have the ability to choose. I'm not thinking those thoughts anymore. Hey, to you thoughts, you don't camp out here in my mind any longer. you got to go. I'm replacing you with other thoughts. We really get to choose the path that our feet carry us on. We really have the option of saying, hey, feet, you don't carry me down that path anymore. Oh, I'm just curious. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just checking it out. No, no, no. I'm not going to linger there. I'm not feeding that desire. You really get to choose where you allow your eyes to look. It's a choice that you get to make. Your eyes are not their own to command. You get to command your eyes. And you don't have to look. 
twice. You have the ability to either feed your sinful desires or you can starve your sinful desires. And either option has a powerful outcome. That's the truth. So, James says, not only does temptation come from your own desires, which entice us, entice us rather than drag us away, desires as we feed them and nourish them, you know what they actually give birth to? Sinful actions. If you feed desire, it will one day give birth to sinful action. See, Wesley, John Wesley, when he wrote about this verse, he said, desire in itself is not sin. It's when you begin to nourish the desire and feed the desire and act on the desire that it actually becomes sin. And then finally, look here. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve? If you eat from that tree, you will die. You say, well, I read the story, and they kept living. In fact, they started having kids after that. It was a different kind of a death. God said to Eve, you will give birth and bearing children. He said to Adam, you will now eat by the sweat of your brow, and death will become part of human existence and suffering and pain and all of its preliminaries. Here's what's always interesting to me. After sermons like this, there's conversations, and the conversations go all the same. See, there's nobody in the room. There's not one one person here who who doesn't get it. Everybody in the room would say, I I know. You, You don't have to put the three deals on the board for me. I got it. I, I, rem, I remember a time in my life when, when I was struck with desire. And I fed the desire. And I kept feeding the desire. And finally, it gave birth to a sinful act. And if there's one regret in my life, if there's any part of my life I could push a delete button, I would push it. It, it has literally killed me. It has taken life out of me. I get it. Let me talk to you about why it's so important to follow the Word of God. And James makes it really clear with his words. I was, I was at um, SNU a couple of days ago, and both Dr. Newman, and then I talked to my friend Terry Toller about it. And and Terry told a story, and I said, Terry, do you, do you think I could share this story in a sermon on Sunday? And he goes, yes, you better tell the story this Sunday at Bethany First Church. It's a great story. And so he told me the story about visiting a church, Terry Toller, not long ago. And he said, at the church, after the service was over, this guy comes up to talk to me. And so we're standing there talking, and he says, um, you know, when I was a young man, my brother and I, we worked in a shop. And we had a client that we were building some stuff for who came into our shop. And, and before he left, he asked if he could tell us about Jesus, talk to us about Jesus. And he did. He talked to us about Jesus. My brother was pretty adamant. He, he said to the guy, I don't really want to know any more about Jesus. In fact, he made a statement about how he had planned to live the rest of his life. And it was really about this. I'm just going to do 
my own thing. I'm going to live according to my own desires. That was where he was. And Terry says the guy begins to break down and cry. Because he said, I, I begin to follow Jesus. And he says, Terry, next, next week, next week, my brother's son will graduate. Okay. Lean in, okay? Will graduate. You ready? I don't know that you're ready for this. I wasn't ready for this. My brother's son will graduate from prison. And on the same day, he'll be deported as a criminal of this country. On that same day, my son will graduate from Southern Nazarene University. And then he'll start his master's work. And it's all because of some choices that my brother and I made when we were young. Because the way that you and I will respond to temptation will determine the quality of our lives. And James draws this very stark contrast. It couldn't be more sharp, right? He talks about if you do this, it leads to sinful actions, and sinful actions leads to death. But if you will endure temptation, then you will receive this crown of life. I mean, it couldn't be more stark, right? It's death or life. Okay, so I'll, I'll wrap up with just two, two statements, all right? Two things. One would be, you know, there might be a couple of groups of people here. It's what I'm assuming today. And, and so some of you may say, hey, Pastor Rick, um, not a follower of Jesus, not a Christian, wouldn't call myself a Christian today wouldn't say that I'm right with God or that I'm living as God would want me to live or anything like that. Um, I, I do have this stuff in my life where that I have lived according to my own desires and I have fed those desires and, and there is sin in my life. You know, I won't mince words. I'll just say, sure. Yeah, I sin. Um, is there any hope for me? Well, there just happens to be a lot of hope for you. It's called the good news. It's the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up and He lived among us and He showed us what God was like. And then He went to a cross and on that cross, He took all of your sins and all of my sins. Every time that we fed desire and that we gave into temptation and that it was becoming sin and, and then all of that, every one of those, He took upon Himself on the cross. And here's what He says today. I will forgive you for all of those sins and you can start a brand new life right now. It's like being born again. It's like you get to start life over with no sin, no sin at all on your record. You just get a clean slate if you will accept my forgiveness and follow me. I think there's another group that says, I uh, maybe even hung around the church a lot. Made a commitment to follow Jesus in my life. And do desire to do that. And do love Jesus. But I do struggle with desires. And sometimes I find myself feeding those desires. 
And sometimes those desires give birth to sin in my life. Is there any hope for me? And I would say to you, there's a lot of hope for you. And and here's what I would recommend to you. One of the practices, one of the practices that we encourage here all the time is one-on-one time with God. So what does that mean? That means I'm either going to get up in the morning or sometime at midday or maybe before I go to bed at night, but there is going to be this time in my day every day where you know what I do? I spend time with God. I get a Bible, I get alone, and I pray and I talk to God and I ask Him to speak to me through His Word. Let me just tell you something, okay? It is impossible to do that. It is impossible to spend one-on-one time with God. If you're in a season in your life when you are feeding desires, sinful desires, if that's what you're doing, if you're feeding sinful desires, it is impossible to have one-on-one time with God and God not say, hey, could you just pump the brakes there, big guy, for a minute? I want to talk to you about something. You're feeding some sinful desires. Impossible for that not to happen. And, and if you don't quit feeding this sinful desire, it's going to give birth to sin, and then it's going to cause you pain. And it eventually leads to death, and I love you too much to watch it happen. And so i got to just say, hey, you got to pump the brakes here, and you got to get life back on track because you're doing something that's taking you down a bad road. And as you spend that daily time with God in prayer and in His Word, it is impossible to feed sinful desires and God not say, Hey, can we talk about something? It's a big deal in your life. That practice becomes a channel of grace that changes you, that God uses to transform you and to make you more like Jesus. So here's what I've got to ask of you this morning. There is a uh, a card in front of you, and it looks like this. And if today you're at this place where you say, I want to become a Christian. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I got stuff in my life. I, I really want to walk away from it if I can. I, I would love it if you would put your name on the front of the card and some contact information. And on the back it just says, I would like to know more about. And one of them is a relationship with God. Being forgiven of my sin. Check the box. Or just write a note on the front telling us what you want to talk about. I promise you this week in the next few days, we will reach out to you. We'll call you. We'll email you. We'll get in conversation with you. And we'll help you take those next steps or answer any questions you have about taking those next steps. It's not pressure. The reason it's not pressure is because pressure doesn't do any good. If you're not ready to take that step, somebody pressuring you is not going to help. It's going to push you away. We won't do that. Whatever you do, if that's where you are today, before you walk out the door, please fill out a card. And I'll make a deal with you. I will be in the foyer right outside these doors. And just walk up, slip the card in my pocket, hand it to me. Or if it's more comfortable for you, lay it on the altar. We had people do that in first service. Just lay it there. And we'll pick those up at the end of the service, okay? There's one other way that God has given us to help us to receive grace to deal with temptation in the right way and that is sitting right in front of me it is communion Jesus is with his disciples he takes bread he breaks it he gives them wine he says eat this, drink this 
remember me. But it's more about just remembering Him. It's about receiving His grace. This moment. John Wesley said, why wouldn't you do it every time you can if it is God giving His grace to you to help you? So this morning, if you're saying, Rick, I've been feeding some desires and I need God's help. Receive His help today because He has it in front of you. So why don't you stand with me? And those of you who are going to serve, will you come now? You don't have to be a member of our church to receive the elements. I just ask that you sincerely be seeking Jesus. And so when the tray is passed in front of you, take the stack of cups. There are two. The bottom one has the bread. You could just put it in your hand, stack them back together, and hold it until everybody has been served. And we will all eat and drink together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.